In the spring of 1949, a 14-year-old boy began exhibiting signs of demonic possession after the death of his aunt. Following a harrowing exorcism, the boy, known only as Roland Doe, was cured. Local news stories about the exorcism caught the eye of William Peter Blatty, inspiring his 1971 novel, The Exorcist. He also wrote the screenplay that became the 1973 film directed by William Friedkin. This is based on a true crime. Chelsea and I love true crime and I'm David and I love horror movies and happy Halloween happy Halloween yes uh, we are hopefully getting this episode right in the nick of time maybe you can put on some headphones while you take your kids trick-or-treating and listen to uh, an extra spooky one I think this is a little bit more up David's alley because it's not quite a true crime but it is very very creepy yeah i'm excited and we i think like early on when we started the show this was one of the ones that we've had sort of at the top of the list but it's taken a while to get to yeah we did do another exorcism story we did the movie the exorcism of emily rose and that was about the exorcism of annalise michelle and that story i think definitely has more of a, a true crime spin to it because the adults involved in that were very very irresponsible criminally irresponsible but before we get into this story which is definitely uh, a good one for halloween we did want to um, thank our new five-star reviewer so calant and also uh, shout out some of our correct guesses yeah on twitter we've got chippy tft of course, you're really good at these. We have Charles, a.k.a. Last Hometown, and our true crime podcast, who are actually from St. Louis, and they met the niece of Father Bowdern. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, so cool. And on Facebook, we have Raymond from The Cult. Yep. Hi, Raymond. Hey, Delissa and Eric. And on Instagram, we have X underscore Amityville underscore X. Excellent choice of a screen name there. Yeah, that's really good. So thanks so much for participating. We always love how fast you guys get these sometimes. Yeah, and I thought that my clue was a little bit more obscure. I just posted a, a picture of the house in St. Louis. You know, Dave and I have the, a St. Louis connection, so uh, I was excited. You know, it, it kind of looks like every other house in that area, but I said, ooh, something spooky happened at this house, and immediately, I guess everyone knows. I didn't know that the uh, true story of The Exorcist took place in St. Louis while you know, or when I moved there, but uh, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Well, shall we dive in? Yeah, let's do it. In 1949, William Peter Blatty, a student at Georgetown University, was reading the Washington Post when an article caught his eye. The article was titled, quote, Priest Freeze Mount Rainier Boy Reported Held in Devil's Grip, and it was about a supposed exorcism which took place in St. Louis, Missouri in the spring of 1949. The victim, who was named only as Roland Doe, was a 14-year-old boy from Cottage City, Maryland. The story stuck with Blatty and became the inspiration for his 1971 novel, The Exorcist. Roland Doe was born sometime around 1935 to a Lutheran mother and Catholic father. Roland was an only child and was particularly close with his aunt Harriet. Harriet was a spiritualist and taught Roland how to use a Ouija board. 
Shortly after Harriet died in the summer of 1948, strange things started to happen in their house, and these events were particularly focused on Roland. The family began to hear scratching sounds in the basement, and these sounds eventually grew to be loud, bashing noises. Roland witnessed a figure of Jesus on his grandmother's wall move as though being hit from behind. His mattress also began to move at night, a phenomenon that was witnessed by multiple family members, and they all also began to smell excrement in different locations around the house. Witnesses to these events weren't just limited to members of the family, however. A friend who came over to their house witnessed Roland thrown from a chair by an unseen force. Roland also got in trouble at school for shaking his desk. When the teacher told him to stop, he claimed he wasn't doing it. Well, eventually, Roland's mother had enough. Believing that Roland was possessed by his Aunt Harriet, she contacted her Lutheran pastor, Luther Miles Schultz. He spent the night at his family's home and witnessed objects and furniture move around the house. Schultz recommended that his family contact a Catholic priest instead. When the priest came to the house and met with Roland, Roland screamed at him, and I'm not going to butcher this Latin, but it's translated, O priest of Christ, you know that I am the devil. The priest realized that this was not just the spirit of his deceased relative, and he immediately contacted the church to obtain permission to perform an exorcism. In late February of 1949, Roland was brought to the Jesuit-run Georgetown University Hospital and remained there for five days while the priests, led by Father Edward Hughes, attempted to perform an exorcism to no avail. Many rumors emerged from his time at Georgetown University Hospital, including that priests working on him had to wear rubber suits because he kept urinating on them and that words appeared all over his body as though scratched there by claws. He also supposedly broke free of his restraints on, at night and maimed a priest with a bedspring. Despite this, public records from the hospital reported that all of Roland's medical and psychiatric evaluations came back normal. After being released from the hospital, his desperate parents attempted to have Roland baptized. As his uncle was driving them to church, Roland supposedly turned to him and said, quote, you son of a bitch, you think I'm going to be baptized, but you are going to be fooled. And he had to be restrained during the ceremony. Soon after, Roland's family moved with him to a relative's home in St. Louis, Missouri. One of Roland's cousins was able to put the family in touch with his professor, Father Raymond J. Bishop, and Father William S. Bowdern. The priest visited with Roland in early March and witnessed firsthand many of the indicators of demonic possession, including seeing objects move on their own, hearing Roland speak with a guttural voice, and Roland showing an aversion to religious iconography. Once again, the church was contacted, and once again, permission was given to perform an exorcism. They received permission and began the exorcism on March 16th. Father Bowdern was assisted in the ritual by Walter Halloran, a 27-year-old history student at SLU, and Father William Van Rue, a Jesuit priest. Father Raymond Bishop was also present and kept a diary recording the events of the exorcism. While staying at the house, they noticed that Roland acted perfectly normal during the day, but at night would exhibit the signs of possession. Every night for two weeks, the priest would struggle with Roland. He appeared to enter a trance-like state and would scream and react violently to their presence. They witnessed scratching appear on his body, sometimes spelling out words like evil and hell, and once forming an X, which the priest took to signify that Roland was possessed by ten different demons. These nights became progressively worse. According to the bishop's diary on Friday, March the 18th, quote, 
The prayers of the exorcism were continued, and R was seized violently so that he began to struggle with his pillow and the bedclothing. The arms, legs, and head of R had to be held by three men. The contortions revealed physical strength beyond the natural power. R spit at the faces of those who had held him and at those who prayed over him. He spit at the relics and at the priest's hands. He writhed under the sprinkling of holy water. He fought and screamed in a diabolical, high-pitched voice. Two days later, on Sunday, March 20th, Bishop reported, quote, The high point of the evening were urinations which really burned R, breaking wind through rectum three different times and cursing the exorcists. Some of the vulgarity follows. Go to hell, you dirty sons of bitches, you dirty assholes. The following day, Roland was brought to the Alexan Brothers Hospital in South St. Louis. The exorcism rites continued at the hospital for the next several weeks. At times, Roland was moved to the college church rectory, back to the relative St. Louis home, and even back to Cottage City, Maryland, at one point when the priest thought he was cured. While at the hospital, Roland frequently vomited on the priests and contorted his body in strange ways. He became violent at night, even breaking Holland's nose. When the priest asked him what his name was, he replied, quote, I will answer to the name of Spite. Things finally came to a head on April 18th. Roland woke up that day, the Monday after Easter, having seizures. The priest covered Roland's body with holy relics, and Roland said to them, quote, He has to say one more word, one little word, I mean, one big word. He'll never say it. I am always in him. I may not have much power always, but I am in him. He will never say that word. Father Bowdern demanded that the spirit identify itself, and Roland shouted out, quote, Satan, I am St. Michael. I command you to leave this body now. Roland spasmed violently, and when he woke, he smiled and simply said, he's gone. While unconscious, Roland claimed to have seen a vision of St. Michael the Archangel fighting the devil with, quote, ten of his helpers. At one point, St. Michael turned to Roland and said the word Dominus, which is Latin for Lord. This was apparently the word which Roland needed to break the devil's hold on him. This was the end of Roland's possession. He went on to live a normal life and claims to not remember much of what happened to him. Any written account of the exorcism was lost until 1978, when Father Bishop's diary was found in a drawer while the old psychiatric wing of the Alexian Brothers Hospital was being demolished. Father Bowdern passed away in 1983, and he, never and he never publicly acknowledged his involvement in this case. Wow. Yep. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a, a pretty spooky story, I guess, in terms of a discussion, though. The big discussion, I think we had the same one, you know, last time we talked about exorcisms. Is it real? Neither of us are Catholics, so I feel like we don't have a lot of um, foundational knowledge. Yeah, it's true. I, I feel like... Um these uh accounts of possessions do really depend on on uh yeah I, I feel like if you're catholic then it may have a huge impact so it just is very mysterious to me um all of the signs that he exhibited that don't necessarily have a clear explanation i think what i kind of get held up on is um you know, you would think if it is mental illness, which I think people kind of accept was the case with uh, Annalise Michelle, you know, he would not have been cured through this religious rite. 
And if they were just doing it for attention, you know, why did they not come out with the diary right away? Why was the diary kind of hidden away, lost for years and years until, you know, someone found it while they were demolishing a building? Or why didn't Father Bowdern, you know, speak publicly about it? Well, in at least in the movies, there's often a scene where someone will come to uh, like a priest and they will be like, oh, we stopped giving exorcisms hundreds of years ago. And uh, perhaps this was a, an attempt to quiet the uh, the publicity. Maybe the case could have gotten at the time. It could be. I don't know. I'm of the the mindset that, you know, stuff like this or things that are considered miracles, you, know, you would think that they would want to put it out there to get non-believers to uh to think twice yeah but there there is no you know photographic or video evidence of it you know everything that you'd maybe consider to be evidence is what was written by uh, father bishop so i don't know i don't know it's it's definitely a spooky one though and i feel like i see a lot of parallels between the um the signs of the demonic possession that you know these priests witnessed and then what you know we we saw in the exorcist oh absolutely yeah um i think that it's interesting too because it's you know i think the exorcist came at a time where it wasn't all that far removed from the case i mean we think about you know the difference between now and um you know when when this happened i guess what was this uh 1949 yeah so so you know 1973 that's that's not a huge leap in oh, time it's like 20 years yeah so mm. i could see i mean 20 years that was like 1998 right <laughs> well and you could think of it as 20 years roland doe was 34 oh right that's yeah. crazy wow i wonder Has, if he saw the movie oh gosh i would probably if it was me it would bring back terrible memories yeah i would hope that he didn't but i think the the part about like i just want him to say that word wow that's kind of um fantastic and not the woo that's fantastic but more of the fantastical yeah yeah definitely uh that he kind of cusses oh yeah that's something that's definitely in the movie too <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yep 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 it's true so uh wow well um i don't know i guess uh we'll we'll leave it up to you viewers depending on your your beliefs whether or not uh was this a case of demonic possession? Yeah. I think there's a lot of information out there about, you know, it It maybe not being... I, I took more of a let's take the story at face value approach because it's Halloween. <laughs> but yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear from people who've read more about the case and uh, feel very strongly either way. So before we get to the movie discussion, I did want to shout out my sources. I had two main ones. One is an article by Joanne Rowney in the, the Mirror, the UK website. It's called, Is the Exorcist Based on a True Story? Which, yes, it is. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, the real-life tale of Roland Doe's possession that's more terrifying than the film and TV show. And the other article, which is really great, this is from Riverfront Times. Uh, it's by Chad Garrison, and it's called The True Story of the St. Louis House That Inspired the Exorcist. Cool. Right on. All right. We'll include links to those in our show notes. So uh, sit back, sit tight, 
We'll be right back with a chat about the 1973 film, The Exorcist. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world. The world of darkness. Nobody expected it. Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. There are no experts. You probably know as much about possession as most priests. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. I'm telling you that that thing upstairs isn't my daughter. Now, I want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind. You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that! The one hope, the only hope, the exorcist. And we're back. When 12-year-old Reagan McNeil begins to exhibit unusual behavior that can't be explained by physicians or psychiatrists, her mother seeks out help from the Catholic Church. After Father Karras suspects that a demon is involved, they call in Father Marin, an experienced exorcist. Spinning heads, pea soup, crucifixes, demons, cursing kids, rattling beds, the power of Christ compels you, tubular bells, Ouija boards, Captain Howdy. Are those a, a few of your favorite things? Yeah, those are a few of my favorite things in this movie. And this movie is 1973's The Exorcist. I'm sure a lot of you, many, many, many of you have seen this movie. It's a good movie. Yes, it is a... I feel like it's kind of rare in that it's a horror film that's really universally critically acclaimed. It's considered one of the greatest horror movies of all time, one of the scariest horror movies of all time. It was one of those few that are listed in the horror movies that were nominated for Academy Awards. It's joined by just a couple, which includes Jaws and Get Out. It's a small group. What do you think of The Exorcist, Chelsea? I mean, it's it's excellent. This is the first time I've seen this movie in many many years and i have to say i didn't really recall some of the plot points and you know i i feel like i was probably just as shocked watching it this time as i was the first time they they really cross some lines in this movie that i think even though it's from the 1970s like it's stuff that you don't really see in horror movies nowadays like now you get a lot more violence and heads being chopped off but you don't get a lot of like uh girls grabbing their mom's heads and putting them in their bloody crotches so <laughs> props props to this movie uh, but no it's it's excellent it's scary i think it is kind of a slow burn i was a little surprised how much of it kind of takes place before you know you get to the the scenes that are kind of part of our collective psyche the head spinning the pea soup uh the power of christ compels you but but yeah i, I loved it how about you 
Yeah, I think it's great. I always forget about the like archaeological stuff in the beginning. Um, I guess it's in the ancient city of Hatra in Iraq. And yeah, it's uh, it's good. It establishes all of the stuff with Father Marin Lancaster as the... <laughs> Lanky? No, he's not ever called Lanky. But yeah, this movie is really good. I didn't really uh, understand or appreciate it as a kid. I think um, for me, it took a certain level of um, reaching adulthood to get it. Growing up, I just wasn't into possession movies. I agree. And I think I'll always be detached at a certain level from these movies. You know, I think that I would find it, I just find it a little bit less scary than I'm sure someone who, who grew up in the Catholic church and who, you know, was maybe raised to be afraid of something like demons or possession. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But I mean, talk about like the, a really great representation of what I'm just assuming all possessions are like. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure they're all like that. Yeah, they're all like that. Yep. When yep. they're when they're 12 year olds, that's especially. Yeah. With the the head spinning and everything else, and I think the effects are so good. They're like you know when the full on possession happens to Reagan, it's. Oh, I the odd thing is though when it just starts when she's having the um the the medical tests and everything done those are almost those are like really really scary to me she's like in the giant machine that's like scanning her brain and oh they like stab something into her throat and blood starts squirting out yeah Yeah, that was horrifying that was absolutely horrifying and uh that was like a real procedure at the time too i can imagine being a kid and and needing something like that to be done i'm glad for modern medical science oh yeah um so this film was directed by William Friedkin and as we mentioned at the top of the episode based on the novel that was written by William Peter Blatty in 1971. So it was a pretty quick turnaround from publication of the novel to the film Hitting Theaters and it came out in well the day after Christmas in 1973 December 26th. So festive. I think they initially only intended to open it on a couple of screens but then they started seeing the reactions of audiences and went nationwide. It had a 12 million dollar budget which actually I think for the time adjusted for inflation was pretty high. So they had a lot riding on the film. However, it made $441 million at the box office. So not too bad. Oh, no, no. I think it did pretty well. I believe to this day, it's still one of the highest grossing, if not the highest grossing horror film ever with the the numbers adjusted to um, the era appropriate. Um, So William Peter Blatty uh, wrote a sequel, actually, to The Exorcist in 1983. So good, just over 10 years later, called Legion. It was later adapted into The Exorcist 3 in 1990, which he directed. He uh, has also written some other novels, some genre, some not. He wrote The Ninth Configuration. One of his early screenplays was for a 1969 Western comedy called The Great Bank Robbery. And one of his more current publications is called Elsewhere, which came out in 1999 as part of an anthology and then was republished 10 years later in 2009 and this one i thought was interesting it's the story uh, that follows a group of people who visit a supposedly haunted house and when other mysterious things appear the group tries to find out what else the house has that is a secret oh interesting so is is it supernatural or not i don't know i haven't read it oh yeah yeah that line supposedly haunted house has me wondering yep yep Yep. that's uh that's a question so William Friedkin, he is 
kind of one of those esteemed directors of the 70s. And his first film actually was not so representative of his later work. It's called Good Times, and it stars Sonny and Cher. Uh, and it, it, it sort of it sounds like a, a comedy that didn't turn out so well, and he uh. hates it. Oh. However... You know, he he uh, he made up for it four years later in 1971 by directing The French Connection, which is considered one of those 70s masterpieces. Um, you may have heard of the character of Detective Popeye Doyle, played by Gene Hackman. And it's about him and his partner, played by, well, we mentioned Jaws earlier, uh, Roy Scheider. And they chase a French heroin smuggler. Um, he, in 1977, he directed the critically acclaimed Sorcerer, which is not about sorcerers there just happens to be a truck called sorcerer and it's not about what you would think based on the title it's a story of four men who are on the run from the law they're each offered ten thousand dollars in legal citizenship if they will transport a shipment of dangerously unstable nitroglycerin to an oil well 200 miles away that really has nothing to do with the title it does not and it came out a week after star wars and it got buried it was a big budget movie and it um i think it harmed his film career for a little while however it has since seen for the fantastic movie that it is they should uh re-release it and call it the kessel run see if they can actually <laughs> capitalize on some of that star wars oh, money oh i see yeah. what you did there yeah yeah get dangerous unstable fuel (laughs) it really is the kessel run yeah yeah it's good uh in 2012 i've seen this movie called killer joe and it is a um an intense film i will say stars matthew mcconaughey and you know is one of his many non all right all right all right movies (laughs) because he plays a cop who moonlights moonlights as a hitman and he agrees to kill the mother of a desperate drug dealer, played by Emil Hirsch, speed racer himself. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a very speed racery thing to do. Not so much. And it's in exchange for him to have sex with the sister, played by Gina Temple. Ooh. Uh, it's pretty intense. And it's something else. So, of interest to our fellow murderinos, he has been connected to numerous, of course, films over the years um all through the 70s 80s 90s and oddies and there are two in particular that i just wanted to give a shout out that i read about and one is a movie called the ripper diaries which is all about the manhunt of jack the ripper i think that could have been kind of cool and then a movie that is very topical based on a show that we have recently watched that was really great and i believe won a bunch of emmy awards and that is a project that has never been made called the man who killed versace and of course that's about the murder of gianni versace and the killing spree of andrew kanani it was written by frederick Raphael and was going to be produced by um friedkin's cruising producer jerry weintraub but whatever happened it just didn't get made and fx ended up telling the story uh I'd still watch another adaptation. I would watch all the adaptations. I find that story fascinating. But what's his name could be the only one to play Andrew Kinnan, I do believe. Yeah, and he did win the Emmy, yes. So this cast is kind of crazy. This is also one of those movies where I'm excited to talk about, but also terrified because the deeper you dig into the people involved, the more credits they have to their name and the more like crazy behind-the-scenes stuff there is. And uh, this one is um, is one of those. <laughs> Reagan McNeil, the lead. She is a 12-year-old girl who is possessed by the devil. Or a demon, I'm sorry. Linda Blair, who also returns in The Exorcist 2. 
And she's the star of, after The Exorcist, a bunch of made-for-TV movies. And just wanted to give a shout-out to a couple of supernatural and genre movies that she was in. Hell Night, which we just watched, which was pretty fun. That takes place on Halloween night. Yeah, she's great in it. Chained Heat, which is a woman in prison genre film. The Rape Revenge Savage Streets, which is a dirty, dirty, dirty movie. Uh... (laughs) witchery which is so much fun it's an italian horror film which of course is all in english and it is one in the series of unofficial sequels to evil dead sam raimi did not sign off on any of these um the alternate title is la casa four so it's essentially evil dead four wow i didn't know there was an evil dead four well i mean technically there's yeah but (laughs) whatever and it's probably one of my favorites of hers especially because it co-stars david hasselhoff and to quote wikipedia because i don't think i can really do the synopsis justice gary and his gal pal leslie visit an island off the coast of massachusetts where a haunted resort hotel looms to do research on witchcraft they're joined by the brooks family including a pregnant Linda blair prospective buyers of the property when a storm prevents them from leaving the island they are subjected to the wrath of an evil witch who will not quit until all of them die that sounds like so much fun. Yeah, it's I good. I watch it's, it, uh, yeah. I think it's on Amazon Prime, I believe. Oh, cool. She's also in an episode of Supernatural Chelsea. She Yay. plays Detective Diana Ballard, and she helps Sam and Dean in the episode The Usual Suspects, which originally aired on November 9th of 2006. Yes, old episodes. Yes. They're the best. <laughs> uh, we're going to be re-watching some Supernatural, aren't we? Yes, we are. So we may be blabbing about that on social media. Um, her mother, uh, Reagan's mother, Chris McNeil, is played by Ellen Bernstein. And in the 70s, she was in so, so many movies, such as The Last Picture Show, The Exorcist, of course, and Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. And she won an Academy Award for her role in that. Jason Miller plays Father Karras, and he reprised the role in The Exorcist 3. So we have quite a few people who were involved with i'm kind of curious how he was gonna be back in the exorcist three yeah i guess we'll have to watch yeah. it and find out um he actually ended up being active in public theater for many years before his untimely death in 2001 at the young age of 62 and of course the great max von Sydow plays father Marin, and you've probably seen him in a little bit of everything he is in ingmar bergman's the seventh seal he's played jesus which he played jesus in the greatest stories ever told he's played hitman as in three days of the condor he's in david lynch's dune has an important role in the plot of minority report not gonna give spoilers away there he's the three-eyed raven in the game of thrones tv series and he is even in Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yeah. Is Star Wars becoming the new Nightmare on Elm Street? <laughs> oh, no. I brought it up this time. Oh, you did it. Yep. You did it. He looks um, the same age in Force Awakens as he does in The Exorcist. Yeah. They did something with his makeup. He does not look good in this movie. Yeah. The uh, the great, the legendary Dick Smith did the makeup effects for this movie. And uh, and I do really like the aging effects in The Exorcist. It's... um. I think we were talking about it, how it reminded me of Christopher Lloyd, because when I saw Back to the Future, I thought Christopher Lloyd was already like 75 years old. And now he just turned 80, I think. Yeah. Well, it's also crazy how natural the old age makeup looks in this. Like you see him and you recognize him from, you know, more modern things like Game of Thrones and Star Wars. 
and it just looks like he hasn't aged a day in you know <laughs> what oh my gosh that'd be a lot of years like 50 years yeah 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 it's pretty wild um so the exorcist does have quite a legacy over the years um starting with this movie in 1973 it took them a little bit to do a follow-up but in 1977 the ex well exorcist to the heretic came out which was directed by john borman also another one of those great 70s film directors but if you have seen the picture of sean connery wearing a little red v-shaped loinclothy suspender outfit and a gun with the long hair in the braid yes that's Zardoz. Uh... so he directed that he also directed probably one of the best king arthur stories excalibur in the 80s it can't be better than the bbc series merlin though oh yep that's my favorite <laughs> it took them a really long time to follow this up but in 1990 they did the exorcist 3 um which is actually streaming on amazon prime and there is a brand new scream factory blu-ray that um, came out fairly recently um, not to be outdone in 2004 exorcist the beginning which was directed by paul schrader who wrote Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, but was also the director of 1982's remake of Cat People and topic of our podcast, 2002's Autofocus. Um, he did the movie, and the studio threw it away. They basically rewrote and reshot so much of it, it's a completely different movie, and in 2005 released Dominion, a prequel to The Exorcist, directed by Rennie Harlan, who did A Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Uh- Oh, so you had already master. had a reference worked I in. Did, ah, I did. Sorry, I, did. I spoiled it. <laughs> uh, he also did Die Hard 2, which actually I really enjoyed Die Hard 2. It was like an icicle eye death. That's whoa. Uh, and Deep Blue Sea. Okay. We're going to dig into some fun facts about this movie, and we're all going to have a good time talking about it. Because there is some pretty cool stuff that happened while making this movie and kind of the legacy that has followed it. Um, very topical, though. When I was at the Halloween 40 convention set up with a booth for Lab Creature, um, I was stationed near Celebrity Row, and there were people from all of the Halloween movies there, um, no matter how small of the role. And across the aisle was an actor named Eileen Dietz, and I looked at her banner, and she has a picture of her role. She's Pazuzu. She's the face of the demon in The Exorcist. And um, funny story, I, I got to, like, help her out with some of her, <laughs> her purchases on some technical issues and had some really cool conversations with her. And uh, she's super nice, and she's been in a ton of genre film and is still working today. Yeah, and right now I'm staring at the autograph she made for you, which is, of course, on that screenshot that you see of, of Pazuzu's face. You know, it's kind of like a, a blinker, you'll miss it bit in a... It happens a couple times in the movie, though. Yep. And it's just real creepy, like nasty teeth and red-rimmed eyes. Um, but yeah, I'm, I've been staring at it the whole time. Yeah, I didn't even intend to set that out. It's just kind of sitting on my easel right now. <laughs> um, but she also uh, was sort of a um, uh, uh, stunt double in a couple of scenes as well. So when uh, I think Chris McNeil hits Reagan, it was her as sort of the body double and i think there's also one of the like puking scenes she um helped out with that as well the demon of pazuzu is a demon known in assyrian and babylonian mythology 
as the demon that brings famine during the dry seasons and locusts during the rainy seasons. And he was the king of the demons of the wind. So on the first day of filming the exorcism sequence, you mentioned Linda Blair's delivery of some of her foul-mouthed dialogue. And uh, it bothered Max von Sydow so much that he forgot his lines. Oh, man. I wish they released that as, like, outtakes. I bet that would be very amusing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't even imagine. Well, speaking of, you know, intense scenes, um, when Reagan um, pukes all the green pea soup out at Father Karras, um, it just took one take. And it was supposed to hit um, him in the chest, but it sort of, like, sprayed in the wrong direction and just, like, got him in the face. So his look of shock... Uh, and of being grossed out was for real. And uh, he said he was not happy at all by the mistake that happened. <laughs> I wouldn't be either. Ooh. Yeah. At well, least it's actually pea soup, right? Yeah, it all is. Right. And it's not Campbell's. It's like another brand because they like tried Campbell's. They're not a sponsor of the show yet. <laughs> um, I guess it didn't look right. So it was like, no, we need to go with this other brand. It looks way more like... Uh, demon vomit yes yep so the very famous poster image and you know one of the scenes that a lot of us think of when we think of the exorcist was inspired by the series of paintings empire of light by renee magritte um and that is the one it's like father Marin is outside of the cab and it's the the glow of the street lights so that image and um fun fact is that um, Billy Graham himself claimed that an actual demon was living in the celluloid reels of this movie. So a little bit of true crime. Oh, yeah. As long as they're not living in the Blu-ray of this movie, I think we're fine. Yeah, yeah. I think we're all right. Um, so it's kind of a, a new thing I'm trying to break out of the trivia because it's uh, some of these crazy big movies that um, are so famous have a lot of um, alternate versions that could have been made had other people been cast or directed it or or whatever and in this case there are quite a few um jack nicholson was actually up for the part of father Karras before jason miller was oh, that would have been so weird well i think that william friedkin also thought it was weird because he said that jack nicholson was too unholy to ever play a priest oh that's a little bit mean yeah a little bit i just think it it benefits from not having anyone too recognizable in it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I think that's I think that's spot on. Speaking of res- <laughs> recognizable, the studio really wanted Marlon Brando to play Father Marin. And uh, the director was like, absolutely not, because it would then, of course, become a Marlon Brando movie. And he's like, no, I, I, I want to make this movie like you said. It's like people you don't automatically recognize um, and that would have definitely changed the the film a lot. Now, though, I really want to see a version of this movie with Marlon Brando and Jack Nicholson. (laughs) Well, if you wanted to see it with Nicholson and Brando, you could have seen it with Jamie Lee Curtis and her mother refused. Her mother is the famous Janet Lee. Um, Also, Denise Nickerson, who played Violet Beauregard in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, was another candidate, but her parents read the script and were like, Nope, 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 nope. And fun fact, Laura Dern auditioned for the role of Reagan. Oh, wow. I 
didn't realize Laura Dern was a child actor. I don't I know. I've seen her in anything. I don't, I don't that know young. if I have either. Yeah. Well, we're going to escalate this even more, Chelsea, because oh, um, Variety later on um, did an article where they revealed that Carrie Fisher and her mother, Debbie Reynolds, were contenders for the role of Reagan and Chris McNeil. How, how old would Carrie Fisher have been? She would have been the the right age right age yeah wow she was so young in star wars she was i think 18 oh jeez yeah so that would have been uh so that would have been like exactly the right age crazy yep. yeah um to escalate it with possible directors stanley kubrick wanted to direct the exorcist um however he wanted to produce it himself which i think i mean not to like uh what's the right word play is it inside football no that's not a thing at all um <laughs> Sure, inside football, whatever I think it's that inside means. Inside baseball, I think. Is okay, the, the thing, but um, inside sports ball. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it probably would have been a shiny thing where you know had the, so um, the the author had final say on everything, and I feel like he would have been very disappointed because Kubrick would have changed this movie like completely, like what he did to poor Stephen King when yeah. he did The Shining. Yeah, I mean, fantastic movie that is kind of a a separate entity from the novel. Um, they were also worried that he would go over budget and over schedule, which he absolutely would have. The movie would have taken three years to make and probably would have cost a hundred million dollars. I mean, sorry, sorry <laughs> Stanley Kubrick. I'm just being honest. I'm, t- I'm telling Stanley Kubrick on you. <laughs> um, actually, Mark Rydell was hired, but the author, William Peter Blatty said that he wanted William Friedkin to direct it instead. And they did a fight with the studio and um yeah uh bloody would wouldn't budge and so we got william friedkin interesting i feel like nowadays uh, the writer would not have that much power there's no way yeah right? definitely the roles of the screenwriters or yeah the um i think maybe it's a deal maybe deals where it's the a novel being adapted they still have some say but if this was written like as a spec script or anything else yeah there, there's just no way um it would have been really different that's all the trivia I have, except I got some taglines. Woohoo! My favorite. All right, the first one. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world, the world of darkness. I don't love that one. I, I just don't. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Don't bring my science into it. It's about <laughs> exorcism. Yeah, the devil inside. No, that's like the name of a different movie. Yeah, yeah, totally. This one's a long one. Nobody expected it. Nobody believed it. And nobody could stop it. The one hope, the only hope, the exorcist. No, I don't like that one either. Why are all these taglines terrible? I don't know. You got to get a maybe a good movie trailer voice actor would do it better. All right. We have one more. You thought that one was long. This one's longer. Something beyond comprehension is happening to a girl on this street. In this house, a man has been sent for as a last resort. That man is the exorcist. I think that's the worst one of all. <laughs> yeah, now the first one sounds pretty good, right? Yeah, actually. Oh, man. Well, that's bad. Now I understand why the tagline on our Blu-ray cover is just the scariest film ever made. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Ooh, do better, people. Ooh, yeah. I feel like they could do a lot better. Um, all right. Well, this movie really came together well it sounds like you know there were there were so many uh i think casting reagan was a real challenge 
I read something um, that had referenced the fact that maybe William Friedkin had considered um, casting um, adults who were short. Like, really? Yeah, and then doing makeup effects or something on them. Is it just because they want to have an actual girl that age be doing the stuff she had to do or I, saying what she had to say? Yeah, or? I don't know. So that's kind of outside of the, the official list of trivia that... You know, yeah. but I, I was like, that's that's weird. It is interesting, though. I mean, the I think the very first thing that came to mind when we we're talking about the movie to me was just how kind of disturbing it is. And I think that you know, they definitely put her through a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was definitely a lot. Um, do you but have... it shows. I think that's part of the reason why that movie has such staying power. It's it's disturbing. It is. It certainly is. Yeah. yeah. Um. I think probably one of the more disturbing scenes is when um, their friend comes over to visit her and then the window is like open and they're like, what? Didn't you hear what happened? And they're like, oh, he jumped out of a window. Is it Burke? Burke. Yeah. 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 I, I was lost for a second. I almost wish that the movie had actually showed that happen. Um, They don't even show like Burke coming over and the babysitter leaving. They just have the mom coming home and then the, the babysitter comes in and she's like, why did you leave Reagan alone? It's yeah. like, uh, oops. Well, <laughs> I didn't, but now that dude's dead. Yeah. Um, I saw something where uh, William Friedkin had taken out like several scenes from the novel that um, I do believe that William Peter Blatty really wanted in. So they, they kind of had like a, uh, they didn't like fight for a couple of years where they didn't quite get along so well because of, of those changes. And I think, I don't know. I didn't see that like listed whether or not they ever filmed it or not. There's a, I, I know when they re-released it, there's, they inserted the like spider walk where she's like on the walls or whatever. Oh yeah. And they didn't include that because I think you could see the wires from the visual effects Mm -hmm. and they just were never happy with it. But then they digitally redid it. Um, and added Boba Fett or something. Yeah. They have a little dude in the background stepping on some poop. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Any, any favorite scenes that you wanted to give a shout out? I think I need to go with the classic and say the head spinning around. Ooh. All right. It's just so creepy. That visual. Plus we got to see the Reagan puppet in person in New York. So it was exciting. Oh, you're right. We did. Oh, that was really cool. That's at the museum of the moving image. Yeah. Museum of the Moving Head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What about you? Do you have any favorite scenes? I think I do. And I think it's the, um, it just culminates it all when they are performing the actual exorcism itself. And there's something about um, Father Karras and Marin teaming up that I think, like we've since seen it done, but that's, it's just such a special, intense scene. Yeah. Um, that like I I really I really I really like that scene. It's yeah. the whole uh, the power of Christ compels you, and they say it like a hundred times or something. Yeah, and you're just like you've just seen the plight. Like the one thing this movie doesn't. I mean, I guess you could argue maybe it does, but I feel like they don't really exploit um, the fact that it is a twelve year old to its. Fl- it could have gone in a different direction. Yeah. And because like you said, it's sort of a slow burn and you meet Reagan and her mother, you know, Chris, and you see that Chris is like an actor and she's just mm-hmm. kind of trying to be there for her daughter. And then all these strange things are happening and she's thrown into, you know, a series of events that who, who, what, what mother, what parent wants to ever have to go through. Yeah. And then they're 
successful, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're sequels, so yeah. obviously they weren't totally successful. Um, I think it is worth mentioning, though, or at least you know, pointing out that her gender was changed. So the the true story is about a fourteen year old boy, and you know, Blatty when he wrote his novel switched the the gender of the possessed person to to make it a girl. So you know, to say that it's not exploitative. Yeah, I think that there are certain reasons that they switch the gender to, you know, be able to do something like have lines that the the sow is mine and, you know, have her be violently masturbating with a cross. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So I don't I don't know. But I don't, it's it's scary. I think it's, you know, playing on your your fears and think sexuality of, of young women you know, it, it makes it more powerful. That's The Exorcist. Yeah. Whew. What yeah. In- Why are we ending on that note? <laughs> wait, what's your favorite scene again? <laughs> oh, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry. I didn't mean wasn't I'm exploitative. Not- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like this is really a really great movie. And it's surprisingly hard to track down on a, a Blu-ray format. So we have a UK version that has the re-release. I think it's a good 10 minutes longer. When it came out, I think it was... Um, I remember it being kind of a big hit. I didn't see it in theaters when it came out again. Because you weren't born? No, oh, wait, for no. the re-release. <laughs> well, I hope I was born for the re-release because I was like, what? It's like early 2000s or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, we should also mention uh, there's a TV show that is actually like a direct sequel to the the first movie oh, and it's right. really good yep. it's very very good we've only seen the first season but uh man if you've only seen the movie i think it's it's worth checking out the show also yeah they kind of um i i don't know i'm i'm supposing that they ignore everything that all the other movies or whatever yeah but, we haven't um, seen any of those uh but if you've listened to this point it sort of uh gives away the big reveal so spoiler reverse spoiler alert not reverse uh delayed spoiler alert is that there's a huge reveal that gina davis is reagan and she has assumed a new identity yes and wow that's like early in the season and it really makes the show it i was really surprised i think because all the advertising like they they never revealed their cards they just made it seem like, you know, it's called The Exorcist because it's about an exorcism. No, it's about The Exorcist. <laughs> uh, it's it's really good. Yeah. No, I'm super glad you mentioned it because I feel like a lot of people didn't watch it. There are two seasons. I think they're both available on Hulu or something. One of the streaming services. But yeah, just know we're spoiling it because you may have not been interested before, but it is a direct sequel, Modern Times. It's Reagan as an adult. It's Gina Davis. She's great. And she has a family. It's uh, Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off is her husband. Uh, it's all kinds of bizarre It exorcisms. is scary. Also, the priest is quite attractive. All right, cool. All right, well, that wraps up our episode on The Exorcist. We hope you've enjoyed this particularly spooky episode that has put you in the mood for some scary movies and even if you're listening to this after halloween let november lead you into a couple more spooky movies before you have saturated yourself with holiday romantic comedies from the hallmark channel my favorite (laughs) the time is almost upon us yes chelsea 
Do you have a now playing? I do. My now playing for this week is uh, Nos for Atu. I'm almost done. I have one hour left in this audiobook. It's 19 hours long, so I've been uh, chugging along through it. It's getting me really excited for for Christmas, but also a little bit terrified of all things related to Christmas. <laughs> the um, scent of gingerbread. Oh God. Uh, yeah, it is. It is incredibly disturbing. It's a book by Joe Hill. It's the second book that I've been listening to by him. I finished Heart Shaped Box a little while ago, and it is so good it is so engrossing i'm surprised i haven't just driven off of the road while listening to it um and yeah i'm just i'm stoked to to finish it but it's the the bad guy in this is a guy that steals children and sort of absorbs their energy but also is taking them to this place called christmas land but then also turning them into like little crazed demons uh so yeah it is bizarre. If anyone's looking for a good holiday book to listen to, though, in the next two months, you know, definitely check out this one. <laughs> what about you? What's your now playing? Well, we've been uh, watching all of these Halloween holiday themed movies. So there have been a bunch of them. But like if you want a really, really, really quick uh, cheat sheet and you want to know what we're watching the two nights leading up to Halloween, even if you listen to this on Halloween day or afterwards, uh, let's see, we have, um, we just watched murder party that takes place on Halloween. It's fantastic. We just watch. we're watching night of the demons one and two, two great Halloween night movies, trick or treat R apostrophe R, um, Michael Doherty's anthology film. And then, um, culminating with the barn, which is so good. I think we mentioned it last year as well. And, of course, the best Halloween, Halloween 3 season of The Witch. Yes, my favorite. Yep. So a little bit of a cheat sheet there. Also, Mandy, never going to stop. Probably mentioning every now playing because it will be on continual rotation around our house. It's our Halloween costumes this year. Um, Nicolas Cage revenge flick takes place in the 80s heavy metal fantasy horror uh, Cenobite style ATV riding drug infused monster men a cult that hunts Nicolas Cage's wife and he ha- makes a giant silver axe it's just it's crazy it's so good we watched it again two days ago and I liked it even more yeah. I have a feeling I'm going to like it more every time we watch it. Yeah. Um, and Cheddar Goblin. So that's Mandy. And crazy evil. That's my <laughs> Nick Cage impression. You're welcome. Oh, yeah. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, do you have a coming soon? Yeah. My coming soon is um, Overlord. So that's coming out next next week? Two weeks oh, from now? Oh, yeah. It's coming uh, out it's very soon. It's a new zombie movie. World War II set zombie movie. And... They showed a trailer before um, the the new Halloween that we watched. That was excellent. Did we talk about it being excellent on the podcast yet? Anyway, uh, the new Halloween is excellent. It um, is. And yeah, I'm I'm excited to to check it out. I love a good zombie movie. Yeah, keep Halloween going a little while longer till we get that tree up. 
<laughs> what yep. about you? What's your coming soon? I'll I'll pile on the Overlord. I yeah. I forgot that that was coming up. But uh, Suspiria is also coming up in November. Oh, November's a pretty know, good month for new um, horror movies. It is. It is. Uh, I mentioned Suspiria on our po- on our Patreon exclusive. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Oops. I spoiled it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, some uh, things that we're watching, Some maybe some suggestions and some things to look forward to. You can find us all over social media, of course. You can find us on Instagram at Based on a True Crime. You can find us on Facebook, Based on a True Crime podcast. There's a link. Please join our group called of Based on True Crime. It's the most fun place on the internet. And that's well, where you can not. see our new Halloween costumes. Yes. Yeah. We've got yes. all the pictures. Yeah. We're going to have some pumpkin pictures up there too soon. I may have oversold it as the most fun place on the internet the second most fun place on the internet i don't know what the first place would be but um yeah uh also we have an exclusive episode every month plus a couple of goodies that you can get for the low 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 price of one dollar you will get another episode from us you can't find anywhere else so that's patreon.com slash based on a true crime we are members of murderly network which is a collective of other true crime podcasts so check out murder.ly if you'd like to see what i'm up to in the art world if you like monsters if you like cats if you like cat monsters please check out at lab creature on instagram our music was Composed and performed by Nico Vitis of We Talk of Dreams, who can fi- be found on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams, Instagram at We Talk of Dreams, and of course, We Talk of Dreams.com. He is an awesome musician. Please check him out. We are so grateful for our rad music. And as Halloween nears, as the haunted houses are everywhere, and bats fly, and skeletons come out of everywhere, ghosts <laughs> pop up and glow. Monsters with dripping blood and dripping saliva. Werewolves transforming into people. People transforming into werewolves. Vampires sucking your blood. Zombies coming from the grave. Lightning striking Jason Voorhees and him coming from his grave. All of these things. Just remember death is but a door. And time is but a window. We'll be back. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.